Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The volume. Get in on the UFC 298 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. These UFC cards are deep. They are competitive from top to bottom. There are going to be a lot of great fights, a lot of great outcomes to bet on at UFC 298. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code MANIX. New customers get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code MANIX. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, one no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Want to welcome in everybody that is listening on the podcast feed. If you are a subscriber, I thank you for being a subscriber. If you are not a subscriber yet, get over to Apple Podcast to Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. Hit that subscribe button so you get this pod in your feed every single week. So, it has turned out to be a pretty busy week in boxing. Canelo Alvarez, the biggest star in North American boxing, one of the biggest stars in global boxing, has not quite made an announcement for his next fight, but he has dropped some significant hints in an interview in Mexico on Tuesday What Canelo did to kind of summarize the interview was he effectively ruled out a fight with Jaime Munguia in May. Uh, That was a opponent that has been talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks. Munguia, of course, coming off that impressive win over John Ryder. Well, Canelo says that's not going to be his next fight. He said his next fight was going to be against an American. And while there's no certainty, it sure sounds like that is going to be Jermall Charlo, who is the brother of Jermell Charlo. I, I I find that decision to be puzzling. I really do. Because while Jermall Charlo has an undefeated record, still has a middleweight title, still has a pretty big name in boxing, that's not a competitive fight, and that's not a sellable fight. It's just not. Jamal Charlo has fought once in almost three years. In his last fight against Jose Benavidez, he won, but he got backed up a lot by a blown-up welterweight. I just, I don't see a path to victory 
for Jamal Charles. And look, you can come back at me and say there's no path to victory for Jaime Munguia. I would buy that as well. But Jaime Munguia is right now a full-fledged super middleweight. Jaime Munguia is coming off the best win of his career. Jaime Munguia is not going to run from Canelo Alvarez. Jaime would go out there and go out on his shield, which I think would make for the most marketable and most entertaining fight. But based on this interview, it sounds like Jaime Munguia is out, and it sure sounds like Jamal Charlo is in. So we're going to unpack that. Mike Coppinger, senior writer, ESPN, one of the best boxing insiders in the business. He's going to join me to talk about the Canelo quasi-announcement. We're going to talk about Teofimo Lopez, what's next for him. We're going to talk about rumors of a Connor Ben against Javante Davis fight. And we're going to talk about what the landscape is going to look like with PBC over the next few months. We know PBC has an event March 30th. If it's Canelo Charlo, there's going to be another event on May 4th. What's going to happen in between? What's going to happen beyond that? I get into all that with Mike Coppinger. Stick around. Great conversation with ESPN insider Mike Coppinger coming up next. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. (laughs) I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. You fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right, Mike Coppinger, ESPN Boxing Insider. The breaking news on Tuesday, Canelo Alvarez is not going to fight Jaime Munguia in his next fight. This is... The clarity Canelo provided in an interview with TV Azteca where he announced his fights are going to be on TV Azteca for the foreseeable future. That's great. The people of Mexico can watch it for free. And when pressed about his immediate future, Canelo did rule out Jaime Munguia as his next opponent and said an American fighter would be his next opponent. Now, Mike, that whittles down the list pretty significantly. So I I would say that probably means Canelo and Jamal Charlo are going to dance on May 4th. I got to be honest, I'm disappointed in that. That, That's probably, if you're going to make a list of potential Canelo opponents, that's the one I'm least interested in. What's your reaction to the the likelihood of Canelo facing Jamal Charlo next? Well, I mean, that's been the expectation all along, right? No, none of us really, at least I didn't believe that he was fighting Munguia. Obviously, there's the issue with 
Munguia's promoter, Oscar De La Hoya. Canelo had a very public divorce with Munguia's promoter. And again, you and I know Canelo pretty well at this point. Canelo is usually like, all right, if I don't like you, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to get a beat down from me. I'm going to deny you the opportunity and the payday. So I'm not going to say never say never with Munguia, but I think that's one obstacle. Now, Charlo, it's hard to get excited for that fight. Not, 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 you know, number one of which I think is that his own brother put up zero effort against Canelo in September. He ran around the ring for 12 rounds. And I do think the term running is used too often, but that was running. And so there's no brotherly revenge angle. Jamal Charles fought once in what? The last two and a half years. He didn't look particularly good against Jose Benavidez Jr. And we know who's going to win the fight. We know it's not going to be a great fight. And again, from the narrative standpoint, there is no brotherly revenge angle after what happens. Yeah, I mean, look, this fight sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I, I know people are going to listen to this and say, oh, Mannix, you're his own guy. You want to see Canelo fight Munguia. And there's some truth to that. I would have loved to have seen Canelo fight Munguia. I think that would have been an incredible atmosphere in Las Vegas against two popular Mexican fighters. I mean, Munguia, Canelo is still the biggest star amongst Mexican boxers, but Munguia has kind of got that people's champ vibe where, you know, a lot of these guys, these fans come to see this destroyer from Tijuana mow somebody down in an entertaining fight. Um, I just think that was the better fight. We, we can both, you know, for the purposes of clarity, we both want to see David Benavidez, but that was apparently, but that's been off the table for, for a while now. Jamal Charlo does nothing for me. It, it does nothing. Yes, he's still undefeated. Yes, he still has a middleweight title for reasons that pass understanding. Um, <laughs> yes, he's got a name in American boxing. But to your point, he hasn't fought in forever. His first fight back was on an undercard. He didn't look all that good against a, a guy like Jose Benavidez who backed him up. A blown-up welterweight was backing him up in that fight. What the hell is Canelo Alvarez going to do? A guy that lives to back his opponents up, that has way more power than Jose Benavides. It's a bad fight. It's it's a bad fight. It's going to be a tough fight to market. I just don't get it. I mean, Canelo can fight whoever he wants and make as much money as he wants. That's what he's earned at this stage of his career. But you make the list. Benavides is at the top. Munguia, Terrence Crawford, they're in that mix. Jamal Charlo, to me, is not not on that mix. I just, uh, I just don't get it. And uh, I think it's, I think if and when it gets formally announced, it's not going to be received very well at all. Well, I think the most, maybe the most unfortunate part of all this, Chris, is that you and I would have loved to have seen Canelo versus Charlo a couple of years ago. That was one of the best fights you could have made for Canelo. You know, Charlo was looking really good at 160 after being a champion at 154. I always thought he was the better Charlo between him and his twin brother. And, you know, he has, this, he has the style to give Canelo problems, but between the inactivity and he's older now, and he had, again, he didn't look so good in his last fight. And I, again, this is not Jamal Charlo's fault, but I think the number one reason that at least I don't want to see the fight and probably everyone else as well is we just saw his twin brother run around again for 12 rounds, put zero effort in. And of course they're different people, but it just, it takes a lot away from the fight, even though it's not Jamal's fault, of course. And what about the general public, right? Canelo is a star that casuals know. Like my friends who don't watch boxing know who Canelo is. How many of them and how many of the public at large are going to think this is a rematch? They're going to see Canelo Charlo. How do you tell those people, hey, this is not a run back of that really boring fight you just watched? There was always going to be Mike backlash to whatever, you know, opponent Canelo chose that wasn't David Benavidez because, you know, e even some of the most casual fans kind of know Benavidez at this point. They kind of know that this is the next guy in line to fight Canelo. So there's always going to be some backlash. But if you did a fight with, say, Terrence Crawford, you could make the case that you've got number one pound for pound jumping up in weight to try his luck against the former number one pound for pound who is still the biggest star in the sport. I think Crawford would have made a good fight out of it. He wouldn't have run. He would have made a good fight out of a, a Canelo fight for as long as it would have lasted. Munguia, we already outlined the reasons why that would have been a good fight. And look, I, I think the outcome of Canelo Munguia is that Munguia winds up like face planted after taking a big shot from Canelo. But you can kind of see a, a lane for Munguia to win by kind of taking a page out of the Dimitri Bivol playbook, which is just overwhelm Canelo with punches and hope that your chin holds up. I, look, I'm, I'm, I see you shaking your head. I know. I get it. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very, very narrow lane. It is... 
you know, wafer <laughs> thin, that kind of lane. But there's a lane. At, it's at a bicycle this, lane. It's, it's a bicycle lane. Yes. At this point, though, I don't see that path for Jamal Charlo. Maybe a couple of years ago when Charlo, um, you know, looked like a guy with good power, operated behind a good jab. But so much has happened to him over the last couple of years. And I have a, a lot of sympathy for it because seeing kind of his, his personal life devolve has been tough. His relationship with his brother is not the same. He's just not that guy. He's not that guy. So I look, best case scenario, he stands in fights, trades, gets knocked out with like a body shot. Worst case scenario is he kind of stays behind that jab for 12 rounds and we're stuck with another 12 round decision for Canelo against a Charlo. Yeah, it's not an appetizing fight. Uh, it's hard to get excited about it. And it's unfortunate because, again, we're in a sport with very few stars. Canelo is by far the biggest star. He is the face of boxing. Sorry to any Gervonta Davis fan that's listening to this, but there's no question about it. So when one of those two opportunities for those 12 months is wasted on a fight that we're not excited about, that's always a disappointment. And it's not just disappointing for us, but it's bad for the sport as a whole. Hmm. Now, again, like you said, Canelo can do whatever he wants. No one's dictating to him. But you're the betting expert, Chris. What what does the line look like in your opinion on a Canelo Charlo fight? It's double digits. It's it's ten to one, eleven to one. Um, and, and look, to be fair, it would have been seven to one, eight to one, maybe for Jaime Munguia. So he, he would have been a favorite against anybody. You know, he probably would be a favorite against David Benavides, but it would probably be two to one if if he's a favorite there. But this one, I, I think the odds are going to be really really high. I think odds makers saw what Charlo looked like in his last fight. They saw how devastating, I mean, devastating is the wrong word, but Canelo looked good. Like he backed up Charlo and Charlo, the only time he was standing in front of him, he took a big shot and went down. Um, I, I think they're going to be high, man. I think they're going to be high. Um, and, and look, again, Canelo's legacy is secure. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the undisputed super middleweight champion. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have to prove anything. Um, I just think there was a better fight for him. And that fight was Jaime Munguia, which was right in front of him and and there for the making. Last thing on this subject, does this tell you anything about what Canelo's going to do this year? Like, I mean, I, you you talk to the same Team Benavidez people that I do. They seem to believe that it's happening in September. They believe that a Canelo Benavidez fight is going to happen. At this point, I don't know. You know, you know Crawford's still going to be out there. Maybe he's going to have some time on his hands end of the year. You know, look, this opens the door, and this is, I don't want to get into this now, but, you know, if Berlanga looks great in his fight against Patrick McGroy in a couple of weeks, but no, like, let's say Munguia looks fantastic against Edgar Berlanga in, you know, June of this year. Like, the door could be open for him to step back in. Does this tell you anything about what Canelo is going to do in 2024? I don't know that it tells us much, Chris, and I've heard the same things you have heard that you mentioned, but look. I think Canelo gets a bad rap. And I know it comes with the territory of being the top star in any sport, but I don't believe any of this nonsense that Canelo is ducking David Benavidez or he's scared of Benavidez because he's proven time and again that he's willing to fight tough guys that have far less money than Benavidez and carry much more risk, arguably, than Benavidez. Dimitri Bivol. No one was banging down the doors for Dimitri Bivol. And in fact, he picked Bivol over Jamal Charlo. So he did that. He fought Austin Trout. He fought Arizona Dilar. I have a hard time believing with the way Canelo is and who he is as a person and as a fighter that he's going to let his career go by without fighting Benavidez. He knows that he would be really, that would follow him. That would be part of his legacy. And I don't see that happening. I would be pretty surprised, not intel, just gut feeling if Canelo doesn't fight Benavidez in, in September. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you um, be, because again, he doesn't duck anybody. You know, maybe he doesn't fight guys on the timetable that everyone would like. Gennady Golovkin is a good example of that, but he eventually gets them. He takes on the biggest challenges, um, and Benavidez is that big challenge. Maybe it's an opportunity for Benavidez to get one more big win you know, going into uh, a September showdown if he wants to get another fight uh, in there. But uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to a press tour because I would love to just understand Canelo's thinking, right? Like, tell me what the rationale is behind this. Tell me what went into this decision to face a Jamal Charlo, because as we sit here, Mike, I just don't get it. I, I don't get the fight overall. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of, and I don't know this for sure, but I look, I know that Canelo's three fight deal with PBC, as I'm sure you know, as well had included, you know, pre-approved names and Jamal Charlo was one of them. And that was always the plan. The plan was actually to fight Jamal Charlo. As we know, mm -hmm. in September, he pulls out, Jermel Charlo steps in, so I'm sure that there was some arrangement. All right, I fight you first, then I'll fight 
you after. Um, you know, maybe Canelo sees it as, all right, hey, look, he's one of the pre-approved names and I can get an easy win and look dominant and get my money. I, I don't know. I can't get inside his head. But you're right. Um, there's no, it's hard to get excited about this fight. Even if Charlo talks his best game, it's still hard to get excited about it. But um, one last thing for me on the Benavidez stuff. I don't buy that Benavidez is some big favorite against Canelo. I would still pick Canelo in that fight. And I'm not making them a prohibitive favor, like you said. Mm. Uh, maybe, you know, you said maybe you'd be two to one, or actually, you didn't say that, but even yeah, slightly. two to one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, look, Benavidez, I think, has a style that's not, not I'm not going to say tailor made for Canelo, but it's certainly this kind of style Canelo likes. He's going to stand right in front of you. He's going to be wide open for counter shots. He's not going to have to go find him. Canelo can lay on the ropes, and he's an incredible counter puncher. So, can Benavidez beat Canelo? Sure. But I don't think that Canelo is looking at this being like, oh my God, there's just no way I can win this fight. No, and you know I've said this often about Canelo opponents. It's one thing to fight a certain way, to fight a volume-punching way when you're fighting guys not named Canelo. It's another thing to do it when one of the best counter-punchers in boxing, a guy with blurring speed to the head and to the body, is standing in front of you. Maybe Benavidez will do it, but that first shot that comes back... That's going to have him rethinking a lot. Only Dimitri Bebo really has done that. And Gladi Golovkin in the first couple of fights have been willing to trade with him. Everybody else gets a taste of that power and and they don't want uh, any part of it. So, look, how about just to finish this, maybe we'll give Jamal Charles briefly the benefit of the doubt and say he's going to defend the family honor. He is going to go out there and at the very least go out in his shield because that needs to happen. Because, Mike, if it looks like Charlo won, that's not good. <laughs> that is not good for uh, for the legacy, so to speak. I mean, could you imagine if if Charlo gets if Charlo fight happens and he gets in there and it's the, it's like a carbon copy? I mean, somebody might there might be tomatoes thrown in the ring. Oh, I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but um, I I would say even me personally as a media member, my tolerance is growing thin for these kind of fights. After what we saw between Shakur and Edwin De Los Santos and Canelo and Charlo and Tiafimo Lopez against Jermaine Ortiz just last week, it's like. But again, I think you know I think those guys. Not not De Los Santos and Shakur, but Jermaine Ortiz, to an extent, he was boxing, not running. What Charlo was doing was running. And he did so after talking a tremendous amount of trash, promising this, vowing that. And again, I, I, it's not Jamal Charlo's fault, but unfortunately, when you're a twin brother, some of it falls on you. Okay, so my most frustrating ticket-buying experiences often involved looking for tickets to see the late Tom Petty. Uh, for many years, I was one of those people that whenever Tom Petty was playing live within 100 miles of me, I would want to go and see him play. I'd want to hop in the car, train, plane, whatever, to go see Tom Petty play. Because I was not alone in that feeling, uh, tickets were often hard to come by. And you shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. And I've got the Game Time app open in my hand right now, and I'm going to be all over the place over the next few months, traveling East Coast, West Coast, NBA All-Star Weekend, in Indiana, and I'm always looking for something to do in those places. Looking for last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, game time. It's got a little bit of everything. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Views from all seats in the venue, lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all the good things that you need when you're trying to buy tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All-in prices show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal before you check out. Buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code MANIX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, and redeem code MANIX, M-A-N-N-I-X, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And 
that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Speaking of Teofimo Lopez, who defended his titles this past weekend against Jermaine Ortiz, uh, this was a particularly bad fight. Like, you know, ESPN top rank should stop doing Thursday night fights because the last two have been atrocious. Yeah, Shakur Stevenson looked terrible his last time out. Yeah, Teofimo Lopez looked terrible this time out. Some of that, a lot of that has to do with the opponents. Both those guys came in with game plans that were, you know, not going to be fan friendly. Jermaine Ortiz obviously went to school on what happened between Sandra Martin and Teofimo Lopez, elected to move a lot more than we've seen Jermaine Ortiz move in previous fights. Um, Here's the question. What do we make of Teofimo Lopez now? Because the Teofimo Lopez ride is kind of a wild one, right? Like he loses to Cambosis, his stock drops. He comes back, picks up a couple of wins, his stock starts to rise. Um, He fights Sandor Martin. Does he still have it? I don't know. Stock drops. Fights Josh Taylor. Stock goes all the way back up. He's a 140-pound champion. He's the Ring Magazine champ. We're talking about him back in big fights. We're talking about Terrence Crawford. Uh, And then here comes Jermaine Ortiz, where the flaws in Teofimo's game are once again again exposed. His inability to cut the ring off, which was a huge problem against Sandra Martin, was once again a huge problem against Jermaine Ortiz. And look, Teofimo's been around long enough that this should not be a problem for a fighter of his caliber and his accomplishments. So where are you on the Teofimo Lopez roller coaster? Are you up? Are you down? Are you the same as you were before the fight? Where do you stand? It's tough, Chris, for sure. Because like you say, it's really concerning that you fight Samuel Martin and you struggle that badly. And then you don't show even a smidge of improvement against the same style, what, uh, 16 months, 18 months later. Not even, not, not even, or sorry, it was less than that. It was... 14 months, but either regardless, you know, TPMO was blaming the other guy, running this. Yeah, you know what? He wasn't standing there and trading, but guess what you could have done? You could have cut the ring off. You could have thrown some body shots. You could have, you know, if the guy's moving to the guy's moving to your right, try to throw some body shots to the right, double up on the jab, triple up on the jab, and use angles. And instead, TPMO's strategy, if you could say it was one, seemed to be to just plow forward and wildly throw headshots from five feet out of range. Uh, I thought he lost the fight. I don't have a problem with him winning 115-113. I had I was ringside, and I had a 15-13 for Jermaine Ortiz. But that seems to be the range to me, 115-113, either way to a draw. But, yeah, the most concerning thing is, is Tio didn't say to himself, you know what, this guy's a pretty good jab, and he's a pretty good boxer. Well, let me uh, let me work on cutting off the ring. And that really goes back to T. Fimo's dad being his trainer, I think. 
I, I'm not a big proponent of dads being trainers. It does work sometimes working for Devin and Bill, but I think overall it's tough for, you know, your dads, or the dads are not classically trained and, you know, it's hard for you to tell your dad that he doesn't, you know, he's doing the wrong thing. But um, yeah, I'll be getting to the point and now almost at the point now where you have to have Tio and throw him in with Super Bowl Matias. Um, yeah. So, well, let's, let's dig into that for a minute on, on his dad. Um, you know, if his dad is the guy that came up with the game plan to beat Vasily Lomachenko, you know, when that was widely viewed as a fight Loma was going to win. His dad also has helped him bounce back uh, in that win over Josh Taylor. So we'll give credit to his dad for doing that. His dad does have some training chops where, where he's different from, where I think he's different from the Haney's is that Bill Haney always welcomes outside voices, right? Like Bill Haney, you know, is fine with Devin going off and spending a couple of days to a week training somewhere else. Bill, De Bill Haney is the guy that brought Ben Davison into the camp and, and Ben is still around, not day to day like he used to, but he is still around and providing insight to the Haney's Bill Haney. He knows what he doesn't know, and he's open to learning more as a trainer. I don't get that sense with the Lopez's. Like, it, it's kind of an us-against-the-world mentality that they have there. And Teofimo's kind of talked about this. Like, one of the things he's most proud of is that he didn't fire his dad when people were calling for him to fire his dad. And I do think that's admirable, but I think you can split the baby a little bit. I, I think you can keep Teofimo Sr. on as head trainer, but I also think you've got to bring in outside voices that can show you things. Like, obviously, he can't cut the ring off. Obviously, that's a problem. You know, I heard him say he gave himself a 10 out of 10 for his last performance. No, that's that's wrong. You, you followed this guy around too much. There is an art to cutting the ring off. Gennady Golovkin is good at it. Terrence Crawford is good at it. It's a skill. Bring in people that can teach that skill, that are better. It's not... You're not trying to replace your father necessarily, but you're trying to bring more information into it. We have seen Devin Haney grow into a pound-for-pound -pound talent over the last couple of years, continue to win big fights. Look, maybe Regis Progray was never going to win that last fight against Haney, but how basic Haney made Regis look was really impressive. And he did that because he had a strategy, he had a game plan, and it worked. To me, sometimes Teofimo is looking too, just looking way too much for that one big fight-changing shot. And that's not how you're going to win these high-level fights. So my advice, not that he'd ever take it, to Teofimo Lopez is to adopt a Haney approach. Keep your dad on, head trainer, but bring in these outside guys. Bring in these outside voices to be part of your camp, to work your corner, to be there as a sounding board for uh, for your dad. Someone like, you know, I think they had, they had... Joey Gamash was there for a while. Like, bring him back into that mix. Another good, good boxing mind. Like, and by the way, Joey Gamash was, I think he was there for the, the, the Lomachenko fight, right? Like he was part of putting together that game plan. Just bring in these outside voices and and keep the information flow going. I think there's a lack of of just a lack of positive voices in the corner for in the camps for Tavima Lopez. And I think that's costing him. Yeah, I was I was going to say, look, I agree with you that you have to give Tio's dad credit. Obviously, his you know son is one of the best fighters in the world, and he's brought him a long way. But I think you're maybe giving him too much credit because Joey Gamash was in that corner for the Lomachenko fight, and then he wasn't in the corner for the Cambosis fight. So, I think yeah, at the very least, you know, Tio's going to have to bring in an outside voice. I'm not saying he has to fire his dad or no one. I don't think anyone is suggesting that. But um, look, I'm not, I'm not going to write Tio off. I think he's what, still 25 years old. And he's incredibly talented. He's very athletic. He always comes in shape. There are a lot of things to like about him. He's creative in the ring. You saw that creativity against um, Josh Taylor, right? He put on a show there. That's why he calls himself the showman. And that was not a show on Thursday. Um, no. At least, you know, it's funny, right? Because you always hear about Thursday Night Football with the NFL, but they have a reason for it where they're a couple of days off of rest. I don't know what the excuse is for boxing, but... You know, I caught up with Tio after the fight um, when he cooled down a little bit. And he was, you know, I think he was more honest in that moment. So when I, when I said to him, I said, what do you need to do differently? He said, look, I, I probably should have been doubling up and tripling up on the jab. So he knows that. 
And then, but then he went into, he said, basically like, look, he goes, why did I come back? You know, I think he's just come back, meaning he was retired, whatever. But he said, why did I come back for this? To fight guys that don't want to fight. And it does say, you know what? This was a voluntary defense. If you know Tiafimo, you know, maybe has this issue. Why make that fight? If you, you know, if you're the promoter and you, you have all these guys on staff to try, try to identify these sort of issues. That, that would be my question. I think Tio does have a point there. Well, I mean, yes, because. In hindsight, though, I don't know that anyone expected Jermaine Ortiz to fight that way, right? Like, he didn't fight that way against Lomachenko. He fought a much more aggressive style, and I think you had to expect that was going to be, coming in, that was going to be the style that Ortiz employed. And look, I, I don't I don't blame Ortiz for fighting that way. Like, he, it, he probably wasn't going to come close to winning a fight that people wanted him to fight, but this fight, he was at least competitive, at least to my eyes. I thought he won that fight. Um, and, but I, again, like you, 115, 113, either way, would have been fine. 17, 11, I think is a bad scorecard. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't, I don't blame Ortiz for fighting that way. But if you're Lopez, like you've seen Sandra Martin now do this. You've seen Jermaine Ortiz now do this. Another guy's going to do it. Now, maybe it's not Subriel Matias who is not built that way, but if you're a non-puncher and you have an opportunity to fight Teofimo Lopez, why wouldn't you take advantage of his inability to track you down? Like, you you see what Ortiz did well. You go to school on that and say, look, let's land some more consequential punches. More Stay in the pocket a little more often when you get cornered. You know, try to make it easy for the judge to give you more of these rounds. I, th- this is going to become the way Teofimo gets boxed. So he's going to have to figure out how to, uh, how to handle it. And maybe that involves bringing in more people. Yeah, I mean, look, I have no issue whatsoever, like you, with Jermaine Ortiz's style. Right, I don't call that running, but what I do have an issue with is if you're Jermaine Ortiz, you already faded down the stretch against Lomachenko, right? Mm. The biggest opportunity of your life. You get a second, you know, bite of the apple, and you get swept on all three scorecards, the final three rounds. If he had won one round on two of those cards, he would have pulled out a draw. So, look, if you, what you're doing is effective in there, but like you said, stay in the pocket a little bit, make him pay because Tio made a lot of mistakes. He was really reaching in there. He was reaching wide open for an uppercut, I think. Wide open for counter shots. If you're Tiafimo, you have to look at it now and be like, can I really, if, he, if he's honest with himself, can I really beat Devin Haney with Devin Haney's style and how good he is with the way I'm fighting now? So that, that's what I think it comes down to for Tio is, is there accountability on his team and with himself? Is there, is there an adult in the room? Pull Tio aside and say, look, you're an incredible fighter. You're an incredible talent, but you have things to work on like any fighter. Yeah, based on that performance, I would make Devin Haney a big, big favorite in a fight against Teofimo right now. Um, Speaking of Devin Haney, we are set to have Devin Haney up against Ryan Garcia April 20th. Um, Huge fight. And credit to both these guys for making this fight happen as as quickly as they did. You know, for the last couple of weeks, it really has seemed like it was Ryan focused on Roley Romero. We didn't know where Devin was going to go. Um, but after Roley signed that deal to fight Isak Cruz, Ryan, Golden Boy pivoted, and by all accounts, this came together relatively quickly, which for two guys with big egos and big expectations financially, that's not nothing, like that these guys were able to come together and make this fight happen. Uh, we've already seen a little bit of spice, some manufactured spice, we'll call it that, at the Radio Row of all places where they confront each other, a little pushing, a little shoving, Bill Haney gets involved, but these are two guys, Mike, that are very familiar with each other. I've fought six times in the amateurs. Uh, I'm still going to have to go back and check the record there, but they say it's three and three. So we'll call <laughs> it. We'll, we'll go with what they say on that one. Um, in the pros though, it's a different story. Devin Haney right now is peaking as a fighter. He is in my mind, a top five pound for pound talent at the very least, a top 10 pound for pound talent. Uh, Ryan Garcia, Look, he's coming off a knockout win over Oscar Duarte, but there were questions about how he performed in that fight. And there are certainly going to be questions about his ability to box with one of the best boxers in the world right now. So right now, as we record this in mid-February, is this a competitive fight? I mean, it's hard for me to see being real competitive. Let's be honest. Uh, I, I would love to be wrong, and I'll I'll say that. Maybe I'm overcorrecting because I am one of the people that, you know, picked Ryan Garcia to beat Javante Davis. So I'll own that. Um, and I thought Ryan had some moments in that fight. I thought he uh, hurt Javante, you know, stunned Javante in round two. But I think what concerns me more than anything is the way he looked against Oscar Duarte. Like, what was that shoulder roll? 
Like it wasn't. I don't know what you'd call that. He was turning his back to him, and I thought Ryan was losing a lot of rounds. I don't think you and I saw eye to eye, and you were ringside. I wasn't, but I thought Ryan was losing rounds in that fight. Duarte is a B-level fighter, solid guy, and full. You know, fair credit to Ryan. You know, he knocked him out and did it cleanly. Uh, I think Ryan and Amir Khan are very similar archetypes. You know, these are two guys that are athletic punchers with great hand speed. And Ryan Garcia has a long way to go to accomplish what Amir Khan has, even. But can Ryan, you know, that that's right. If you're Ryan Garcia and you're going to beat Devin Haney, you're going to do it with your athleticism, your your speed, and your power. And does he have the speed and the power and the athleticism with the boxing skills to actually land on Haney, right? That's the question. Yeah. Um, it, look, I would make Devin a favorite, too, going in. Just, just the case I would... I would make Devin the favorite. Just yes. a favorite. A pretty big favorite right now. I'm going to make the case, though. You can tell me what you think of this. I'm going to make a case for Ryan Garcia here. Um, two things that Ryan will have going for him in this fight. One is that familiarity, right? Like, even though it was the amateurs, six times is a pretty decent amount of times to fight each other. So you you kind of know what you're getting into with Devin Haney. The other is the lack of power from Haney. Um, you know, against Tank Davis, Ryan had to be wary of the power. Even though Oscar Duarte was a 135 coming up, I think he had, Ryan had to be really wary of the power of Duarte. He was riding an 11-fight knockout streak, so you couldn't just come in and throw whatever you wanted to throw. Um, I don't think you have to be as aware of that power with Devin. Yes, he knocked Regis Progray down in the last fight and certainly looked a lot stronger at 140 than he did at 135. But I think Ryan's going to come into this fight knowing what he's getting into with Devin and knowing that even if Devin hits him clean, it's not the kind of power that can knock him out. And that can have a positive impact on a fighter. It can make you fight a little bit freer in the ring. And that's what Ryan's going to have to do. He's going to have to fight loose. He's going to have to be, you know, not hands dropped, all that stuff, but he's going to have to be looking to time Devin, you know, looking to land that left hook. He's also, Mike, going to have to have a plan B. Like, that's a big thing for me in this fight. Like, Devin and Bill are excellent at taking away your plan A. So, that left hook, don't count on it being there, because Devin's going to have a game plan to take that left hook away from you. You've got to have a plan B, whether it's a right hand, body shots, whatever it may be, because that left hook to the head is not going to be your knockout punch. It's just not. So, you know, I, I think he's got some work to do, and he and Derek James have some work to do, and the first is going to be, to your point, throw that shoulder roll in the wastebasket it belongs in, but I, I think the familiarity, the lack of power, uh, I think those are reasons to believe that Ryan can win this fight. Yeah, I think those are valid reasons. And look, when I say, you know, Devin's a, a big favorite, I'm not saying he's a 10 to 1 favorite or anything like that. Yeah. But it's certainly not going to be the upset of the year or anything if Ryan wins. Um, and it's not even about Ryan's ability. It's more about how good Devin Haney looks. You know, Devin Haney looks like a guy that could be the face of boxing for the next 10 years if everything goes according to plan. So this is no knock on Ryan Garcia. I think the fact is, is that no one sees Ryan Garcia outpointing Devin Haney. That's very hard to see. So is he gonna, you know, is he gonna knock him out? Like you said, he's gonna have to change things up. He's gonna have to be doubling up to the body. And I think uh, I spoke to Oscar on Friday night. He made a good point too. Ryan has to fight tall. Got to fight tall against Devin Haney. You got to use your hand speed, and you have to use your power. Those are your advantages, right? Arguably, certainly power. Yeah, and and, and timing him too. Like you know, like Devin's a tough guy to time. But we've seen in the past. Devin can be hit. He wasn't hit by Progray, and that was in part because it was an excellent game plan going into that fight. But Devin can be hit, and he has not been hit by someone with the power of Ryan Garcia, at least not yet. So that's a reason, if you want to be optimistic about Ryan's chances to to look that direction. I will give Devin, <laughs> Devin his dad, a ton of credit for how they're navigating his career. Like, they, they have done a ridiculous job with him. Like he is not only talking the talk, but he's walking the walk, right? He is moving around between promoters. He's now going to be working primarily with golden boy for this fight. He, he's making stuff happen, man. And that's, I think, you know, Devin should be the archetype for every young fighter that's coming up. Don't tie yourself down to a long-term contract. Don't accept that you can't get these fights because of promotional and network issues, you know, be your own boss and, you know, bet on yourself more often than not. Because Devin Haney is proof that it can work. He's making, he's made a ton of money over the last couple of years. 
Made a ton of money on that first deal with Matchroom. Made a ton of money in Australia. Made a ton of money against Lomachenko. Made a ton of money in his last fight. And is probably going to make a ton of money in this fight with Haney or with Ryan. Because I think he's going to do pretty well on pay-per-view. I don't think it's going to do a million buys. But I think you can see it going 400, 500,000 buys. Um, because I think it's going to be a good buildup. And there's a lot of interest in these two guys. Yeah, and look, 400, 500 in today's landscape is a, is a really big number. There's not many fights that can do that whatsoever. I give Devin Haney and Bill all the credit, like you said. There's no stay busy fights. There's no tune-ups. Um, there's no years where he's not fighting twice, at least twice in a year. That's really important. We're always talking about Devin Haney now, and seems like his fights always seem to take place in the right place too, right? Uh, whether it's Las Vegas for this one, which I think this is a Vegas fight, certainly. Uh, the Bay Area in December, he had a great turnout there. Um, he's really active on social media. People, a lot of the fighters seem to not get along with Bill. But I think even those guys would give Bill a lot of credit. Bill knows what he's doing in terms of keeping Devin's name out there, creating hype, and creating buzz on social media. So I think Devin Haney, you know, he's not a big star yet, but there's no doubt he's on his way. And this is how you get there. Yeah, you get there by taking big fights every single chance. And look, to your point about tune-up fights, I don't know why any fighters want these low-level fights. Like, your training camps are still hard. You're still going through two-month training camps in wars in the gym. Like, why would you want to go through that and then take a shitty fight? I don't understand anyone that that thinks that. Devin clearly doesn't want to waste his time with with easy fights, gimme fights. A um, couple things before I let you go. It, the situation with Connor Ben and Gervonta Davis is fascinating, right? Like, you know, I talked about this with Keith Eidek last week, and, uh, you know, we didn't believe that this was ever going to come to fruition. Now we have, you know, Gervonta getting an offer from Eddie Hearn that, Connor says is worth at least $10 million, maybe $15 million before, you know, all that pay-per-view upside, if there is pay-per-view upside. Um, I don't know what Gervonta wants, right? I don't know what he's looking for. I don't know if this is all just kind of a game to mess with Eddie, uh, if it was a game to mess with Connor, but um, you, do you think there's any possibility right now that we see Gervonta against Connor Ben? Uh, I mean, I always have a hard time believing when it comes to these public Eddie Hearn offers. Has there been one public Eddie Hearn <laughs> offer uh, over the last five years, it's actually come to fruition that we could think of. Where I'm talking about Eddie Hearn goes on, goes publicly, makes the offer. We know what the dollar amount is, and then we actually hear like a week later or two the fight is happening. I, I don't know. Um, I also haven't seen Javante Davis show any willingness willingness to fight outside of the PBC universe. So I have a hard time believing that Eddie Hearn is going to just all of a sudden make a fight for Javante to fake Conor Ben. Not to mention. You know, yeah, you're mentioning good money, 10 and 15 million, but Gervonta Davis made like, what, 40 million for the fight with Ryan Garcia or something crazy like that. So, again, is he going to be realistic? And is he going to really, is he even going to want that? Is he going to go to 147? I mean, Conor Ben looks pretty, he didn't look, you know, he hasn't looked his normal self. Power hasn't been there his last two fights, and therefore guys are calling him out. I don't know that we're seeing it. Yeah, but in, and this kind of blends into something we talked about earlier and something I was going to bring back. What is the fight for Gervonta? There, there is no 40 million fight out there for him right now. There was some reporting that he might be fighting over the UK in his next fight, which would fly in the face of everything Gervonta's done up until this point, which is build himself as a major gate attraction at virtually every major city in the US. I, I don't know what he'd be looking for, right? Like if I'm Gervonta... And I feel comfortable going to 147, which is a big jump. Like, the guy's a small 135. Going to 147 is a lot. Connor Ben might be the fight I do it. I mean, Connor has not looked strong in his last couple of fights. If Connor gets clear of this UK issue fighting over in the UK, it's a big fight over there. Like, I mean, people, I've heard people talk about Vegas, US. No, no, no. Do it over there and, and make a whole bunch of money fighting Connor Ben and be the first to stop him, be the first to to beat him because I think it's probably coming. Like, you know, if Connor fights these elite fights, he hasn't looked in his last couple like someone that would win them. So I, I can see the interest that Gervonta would have. I just don't know what his interest is otherwise. Like, I don't know what PBC's looking to do with him. Like, we're we're now, you know, into mid-February. There is no, no announcement for Gervonta's next fight. He last fought, you know, this past April. Um, I, I don't know what he's looking for. I, I don't know what he what kind of big fight is out there for him to potentially take? Well, I think there's also still legal issues, right, tied to him because I, I, I remember he was saying on social media back in December that he couldn't travel. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he was on probation. He's been on probation. Uh, I don't know the, the terms of that and everything. I don't know that that's limiting in terms of him being able to train and 
all of that. But if you're talking about the PBC universe, I mean, it's not a big fight, but Frank Martin would seem to be the only valuable guy that would be out there, right? Frank Martin turned down career high payday to fight Shakur Stevenson. And, and what has he done since then? Nothing. He's posted a lot of videos from training on Instagram, which is great and all. Could see his thing in shape, but I still don't understand what happened there. So I guess maybe him and Gervonta would make some sense. That's a good fight. I think it's look, Gervonta's going to do pay per view numbers at a certain level, no matter who he yeah. fights. He is a legitimate pay-per-view attraction. That's just, it's it's a lower scale pay-per-view. It probably does fewer pay-per-views than Roley Romero did because Roley sold the fight. Roley was a, a you know a goofball during the, the build-up to that fight. Um, Frank Martin's not that guy. You know, Frank Martin is probably going to be, he, he might be a little more disrespectful than Jaime Munguia would against Canelo, but he's not going to, to get in his face in the same way Roley Romero got in his face. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical of the Conor Ben stuff too, but it makes some sense for Javante Davis if he wants to to uh, try something a little bit different and jump up in weight. And again, the weight is real. Like he's a small 135. Going up to 147 is a lot, but Conor Ben is kind of a small 147, like not a, a big guy uh, himself. So that would make that fight interesting uh, as well. Uh, Mike, good stuff, man. Always appreciate you stopping by the show and uh, follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Coppinger and read his stuff over at ESPN. Good to talk to you, man. All right. Thanks for having me, Chris. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mike Coppinger for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. I go sleep. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.